0: This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. It is almost the end of 2019, so it is time for my annual sit-down with our executive director, Reggie Shuford. In this conversation, Reggie and I look back at some of the highlights and biggest fights of 2019 And take a look ahead to 2020, which includes our big centennial bash, which is on February 29th in Philadelphia. To find more information about the centennial celebration, visit aclupa.org slash centennial. Let's hear from Reggie. This conversation was recorded on December 18th. Well, Reggie, thank you for joining me for our annual State of the Union conversation, our our annual year-end discussion about the year that was for the ACLU of Pennsylvania. Well, thank you, Andy, for having me. I look forward to these conversations every year. So uh, we always do this in December, about this time, second or third week or so of December. But before we talk about 2019, I actually want to look ahead first, um, because we have Uh, A big event coming up next year is the ACLU Centennial, uh, and we're hosting a big celebration in Philadelphia on February 29th. So I'm wondering if you could say more about that event. What will people be a part of if they choose to come? They will be a
1: part of history, because literally history is in the making. I mean, so we'll be 100 years old, and, I mean, we know that many organizations don't exist for 100 years. So that in itself is a major accomplishment. I mean, I think, you know, the sad part of that is that we're still necessary, as relevant as ever, fighting many of the same battles we were fighting when we were founded in 1920, immigration, dissent, free speech. But this is going to be a party. This is going to be a celebration. We're going to have fun. And we're going to also do, like, a smaller series of events in Pittsburgh. So I want folks in the western part of the state to stay tuned for those as well. But what's exciting for me in particular is, because I'm a big fan of her, is that at our Philadelphia event, mark your calendars, it's on February 29th, 2020, which is Leap Day. So uh, we're hoping that you don't have any other plans (laughs) for that day. But I'm excited in part because we are honoring um, someone, a reporter for whom I'm a big fan. Her name is Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's a New York Times reporter. Uh, and creator of the 1619 Project that I hope people have either observed or heard or seen because it's pretty amazing. We're also going to have some musical performances. J.S. Andara, who's a new, exciting, king and born performer, singer-songwriter, who's um, getting a lot of acclaim, deservedly so, of late, And then for folks who are local to Philadelphia, they'll know the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus, and so they'll be performing as well. But again, you know, there's a lot going on in our country. 2020 itself is going to be a really big year, but we want to take a moment to celebrate the organization's 100-year history um, and have some fun.
0: It's time to have some fun. So you've worked at the ACLU for a long time, over 20 years. So I guess a fifth of the organization's uh, lifetime, is it, is it 25 M yet? Not G. quite. <laughs> is it was it 1995 is that when I you started, started in 1995. Okay. I took like a year and a half
1: off, so it's like 23 and a half. Okay. All
0: right, all but right. But it's,
1: ju- it's not quite 25, but man.
0: Right. That's uh that's quite uh, you've seen a lot in I've in seen 23 a lot. I years. I have. Wow. What does it mean to you personally that the ACLU is about to hit its 100th anniversary? It's humbling, frankly, uh,
1: to be uh, at an organization that has done remarkable work for the past 100 years, really precedent-setting cases in particular, but just have been around for the major issues of the day Um, and has been cutting edge with respect to many of those issues. And so I'm honored, frankly, to, to be here in this moment but also to be leading an organization, uh, the, the Pennsylvania affiliate of the ACLU uh, at this time as well. It's not what I necessarily would have predicted from my from my, you know, from my earlier days, given where I grew up and kind of how I grew up in those challenging circumstances. Uh, but I see it as a gift. I see it as a gift. And before I forget, I just want to say that for folks who would like to come help us celebrate on February 29th, they should just go to our website and they can buy tickets there.
0: All right, so let's look back at 2019, the year that was. When you're out talking with folks, whether it's donors, you're at speaking engagements, what are you saying about the work that's going on right now at the ACLU of Pennsylvania? Honestly, I say that uh, we are doing much
1: of the same work that we had uh, been doing, just on steroids. (laughs) Um, So the issues really are pretty much the same. It's about uh, immigration, it's about criminal justice reform, it's about a woman's right to choose, it's about LGBT equality, it's about free speech, it's about those core issues that we've always worked on just really ramped up quite a bit. And frankly, I mean, I think I see that that people, you know, elected officials, etc., and private citizens, too, seem really emboldened by this current political climate, which makes us busy it really, I think, impacts the broader population uh, in ways that seem to be unprecedented. So I'm happy that the ACLU is here to kind of stand in the breach and kind of be the voice for folks who are not doing the work that we're doing. But we've been really, really busy. And so people recognize that when I'm talking to them about the work that we're doing. And everybody who I talk to expresses appreciation for that work. I also talk about all the growth that we've experienced since the 2016 presidential election. Just here in Pennsylvania, like our staff doubled. Mm -hmm. So with that comes challenges. We've grown a lot. We've diversified our staff a lot. And all of that is great. But I, um, as the head of the ACLU of Pennsylvania, I want to make sure that it continues to be a place where people want to go to work every day they want to come here, do good work, and feel supported in doing it. So issues of um, equity and diversity and inclusion mean an organizational culture they mean a lot to me, and they're not easy. I mean, just as our broader society haven't hasn't figured out the answer to many of those issues, nor have we as an organization, but I think that we're working toward that in order for us who are so committed. To equality and justice and liberty, to really be able to hold the people external to our organization accountable in, in those ways, we need to be doing that internally as well. So, those are the things that I talk about.
0: So, you mentioned some of the issues, and let's talk a little bit about um, the different departments where some of that issue work is being carried out. Let's start talking about, let's start with the, on the legal side. Um, our legal department was is doing their thing as they always do. I realize you can't name everything, but what are some of the highlights from our legal department that you want folks to know about? Yeah, I couldn't name everything,
1: even if I tried. They, like all of us, have been extremely busy. Our lawyers are really top-notch and excellent, Work really hard like the rest of, of us, and so I couldn't keep up with everything they did if I tried. But here are some highlights. Part of What we've done uh, is an area of criminal justice reform. I'm very excited about a lot of that work. And one big case that had been uh, in the works for some time, but that we finally filed an actual lawsuit around, has to do with bail litigation. Mm -hmm. So here in Philadelphia, we we sued um, the first judicial district for its bail practices. And the Supreme Court took that case up and appointed a special master to do an investigation. Uh, and that work is ongoing. Uh, we also um, filed a lawsuit against Marcy's Law um, that for many reasons we felt would not be good for Pennsylvania, including some unconstitutional provisions, some redundancy that you know the laws are already on the books protecting victims' rights. Uh, really, to me, it was a disguised uh, attack on the rights of the accused. Um, and so we filed a lawsuit and have won
0: thus far, but it's still ongoing. And to be clear, we oppose the underlying policy there. The lawsuit is about the ballot question, which puts a whole bunch of new provisions to the state constitution in front of the voters when that's really not how you're supposed to amend the constitution. Exactly.
1: Like the law requires that voters be able to vote on one amendment to the constitution. Right. At a time. But Right was a whole suite of amendments that really was, I think, overwhelming to any voter um, and contrary to, to the law. So right. that's absolutely right. So yeah. we opposed both the underlying kind of goals of Marcy's Law, but as well as the process for how it came about. Another uh, case that we have been involved with um, was a lawsuit against the Lebanon County Court system for its prohibition of the use of medical marijuana for people on probation and otherwise under court supervision. And the court agreed with us on that. Um, yeah, another another case that I'm very, very proud of. For the past couple of years, but certainly last year as well, in the realm of criminal justice reform, again, uh, we've done a lot of work on debtor's prisons, which is the tendency for courts to assess fees and fines to poor people that appear before them and to lock them up. That is against the law. People should not be Sent to jail, incarcerated because they're too poor to pay those fines and fees. You
0: know what's really interesting about that work is our attorneys who've been working on that. It's been very quiet. It's not big. It's not a big public, splashy type of case or or, or work. I should yeah. say it's not really a case per se. But it is. It's it's our lawyers have been actively engaged in judicial education yep. to make sure that there is a process uh, in these counties that. Where judges and the courts will consider whether or not a person can even pay the fines and fees that they have. Right. Frankly, I think it demonstrates that
1: given the moment that we live in, we are all the more required to use every tool in our toolbox to Mm. achieve our mission. Right. Um, And whereas people might think because we are associated with a lot of big litigation and lawsuits that— we're happy to sue all the time. Really, litigation is a last resort rather than a first resort. Right. Um, And so in the context of debtor's prisons, we really do want to work with judges to let them know that the law is already there for them not to be incarcerating poor people. Um, You know, they just need to follow the law. And so our our goal is to, through judicial education, avoid, in fact, having to, to go to court. But, you know, we go to court when we have to. And so part of the strategy um, around debtor's prisons does, in fact, include strategic litigation where where we can see some benefit down the road. But yeah, judicial education I like that it's another tool that we are that we are engaging in.
0: Yeah, uh, I know there's some other issues too around immigration, voting rights, free speech. It's like the, yeah. the it's a long laundry <laughs> a long list, list. list of work from <coughs> our, from our legal staff.
1: Yeah, so um, immigration, for example, another case that we filed was in over the summer a lawsuit against the Pennsylvania State Police essentially for racially profiling Latinx uh, motorists and really doing the work of ICE, um, which is a federal prerogative, um, immigration enforcement, so it should not be doing that. So we're engaged in that litigation as well. So after eight years, we recently settled a lawsuit on behalf of of an American citizen who was uh, wrongfully stopped and arrested by a local police agency, um, after it reported her to federal authorities who asked the agency to arrest her so she actually spent a night in jail, an American citizen. So right. that's what happens uh, when uh, local authorities are um, trying to enforce immigration law. We, we see that they care more about a person's immigration status than whatever like uh, motor vehicle violation that they've been stopped for in the first place.
0: I do want to ask you about free speech, too, because that is clearly an issue that is foundational to the ACLU. It was, It's part of our birth story that people were being arrested in 1920 because they criticized the government. Um, they'd been criticizing the government in the years before during the war, and people were actually incarcerated because of that speech. And so it was in, in that um, environment that the ACLU was founded. There, there's been some discussion out there, I'm just, just going to put it out there, that we're wandering away from free speech, but I know you push back hard when, when people say that.
1: Yeah, rest assured, we're doing as many free speech cases today as we've ever done. In fact, three of our uh, more, more recent cases actually went up to the Third Circuit. Two involved um, organizations' ability to advertise on transit, local transit, uh, and one involved the right of a cheerleader to uh, say things that she wanted to say while she was home Like about school that she had gotten uh, in trouble for. So, yeah, three of our higher-profile cases more recently are free speech cases. So we're not abandoning that principle. That work continues to be important.
0: And we're going to talk about advocacy, and actually just to segue from free speech to our advocacy work, just this week there was a hearing in front of the state legislature on a bill that we support to um, put limits on um strategic litigation against public participation what people call slap suits yeah where um big people with big money often companies will sue their critics to try to shut them up um so whether it's the legal side or the advocacy side you know we're pushing for um, more protections for free speech it's important
1: i mean you know the speech of the people who are often the most marginalized in our society um, is often at stake. Um, and so we are not going to abandon that principle at all. It's a, it's a big ongoing priority for the organization. Um, it always has been, and I don't see us forsaking t- that anytime soon.
0: So let's pivot over to the advocacy side where our policy advocates and organizers work. They've been doing some big things, too. Yeah, as I said before, we've all been really, really busy. So I'm amazed by just our ability to really to
1: keep up with all of it. But one of the um, things we're most happy with um, is in the area of voting rights. So the governor signed legislation into law just recently that um, enshrines really significant um, voting rights reform uh, in Pennsylvania probably the most significant since the election code was was founded frankly mm-hmm. um and i know that we had been working on bits and pieces of, of of these reforms for many many years with many of our allies um and so what a relief right that it was finally um enshrined into law and so it accomplishes a number of things um a vote by mail option uh, the extension of the deadline to submit absentee ballots um, a later deadline to register to vote, um, and millions of dollars to ensure the integrity of, of our voting machine. So pretty, pretty significant. And um, as I said before, a lot of credit goes to our allies who we've been working with for many years to, to, see, to see this type of result.
0: And to show the way advocacy and legal connect to each other, part of the drive there, part of what leveraged the legislature to act was a lawsuit that we had. Challenging the absentee ballot deadline. Yeah, so you know nothing makes me happier than <laughs> to see the various parts of our
1: organization come together uh, to to achieve a, a goal. So your point, yeah, we filed a lawsuit within the past year challenging the very short absentee voter deadline. I think the deadline was that you had to have submitted your ballot the Friday before the Tuesday of the election. Correct. Um, and so now there's much more time I think you can now submit it up till 8 p.m on election day right. it has
0: to be at the county office by 8 p.m. on election day
1: yep which is significant for people who are either disabled or working have crazy schedules I mean this ensures their ability to to vote and participate in our democracy really is what everybody wants to do anyway and so we should be making it easier for people to to vote rather than harder and I think this most recent, package of of reforms uh, achieves that goal.
0: And the vote by mail option for a lot of the folks you just described is... Another tool um, besides just the you know one-off absentee ballot, you can register. We will be able to register by the time of the primary to be a permanent vote by mail voter. So I think of an example from my own family. I have a family member who has a disability. She's not sure day to day if she's going to be up for getting out of the house. And I told her I was like, as soon as this vote by mail option is available. You should apply for that because then you have your ballot. You have 50 days with it. You can submit it whenever you're ready. It's pretty amazing. I think it was a long time coming, but I'm just going to celebrate
1: the fact that it's here now. Yeah. And it really will impact the lives of many, many people.
0: So the criminal justice system, the criminal legal system uh, is a <laughs> mess. Is a mess. <laughs> it is. Uh, it takes a ton of work. It's going to take years of work um, yeah. to undo a lot of the damage. Um, But I know our advocacy department has been busy with the campaign for smart justice. Yeah,
1: they're doing amazing things, too. And I I love the fact that um, we're working in coalition with a lot of folks who are directly impacted themselves. And we've hired people on our staff who have had um, experience with the criminal justice system. And the thing that I say most about that is that people who've experienced firsthand how our criminal legal system works – can speak more powerfully often about mm-hmm. those experiences so that people pay attention more. But we've been busy on probation reform, for example. I mean, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, that more people have been incarcerated for a technical probation or parole violation than for any underlying major crime beyond that. Right. Um, And certainly Pennsylvania leads the way, is one first or second in terms of of people under probation, parole, or other court supervision. And those technical violations um, are what send people back to jail. And and there's something wrong with that. And so we've been engaged in reform uh, around probation and parole.
0: Right, and it's a good point because Oftentimes probation and to some extent parole are viewed as alternatives to being incarcerated, but they act as trapdoors for folks and they end up back in jail or prison anyway because the conditions of their supervision are so onerous that of course they mess up, they miss a meeting, they don't tell their PO that they moved, you know, they go thirty one miles from their home. Um, without telling their PO. And you know, th- those Instead kind of things. Exactly. That's right. I mean, they're living their lives like people try to do, right? Right. Um,
1: and they get penalized. Um, and again, Pennsylvania was one of the worst offen- offenders in the country. And so I'm happy that we are, have prioritized probation reform as, as one of our core priorities. Um, and there was legislation recently that we were supporting, and then it kind of changed. so we're not long- no longer supporting it, but we actually got. People out, like like thousands of people, to kind of become involved and more educated on the issue, but also to reach out um, to their elected officials to make their voices heard. As always, we are very active on social media on these issues and others trying to encourage people to know kind of the, the state of affairs around these issues, but also to become mobilized um, and to hold like their elected officials accountable to make how they feel about these issues known to their elected officials um, and to hold them accountable for how they vote on these things.
0: I also think when we're, when we're talking about advocacy, it's worth uh, talking a little bit about our transgender justice work. Depending upon where you look, there is some inertia around improving the law, like in the state legislature, and the Non-Discrimination Act, Um, and we've had advocacy for years trying to get sexual orientation and gender identity into Pennsylvania's non-discrimination law. On the other hand, there are local victories, like in Philadelphia, where they recently passed an ordinance to expand protections um, for trans and gender non-conforming youth. Um, So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about about that program.
1: Yeah, as I said before, I think people who are directly impacted by the institutions and systems that we find ourselves challenging are often the most powerful speakers uh, about those experiences and have the capacity to really move lawmakers. Um, And so it really is the same issue around trans justice. Uh, We want to empower members of the trans community to to speak themselves uh, about their I- issues and to lobby legislators about the things that are most important to them. Um, and so we've done a series of leadership development things. Um, we've done some lobby days and they've been impactful. I think we have more work to do in Pennsylvania, but because um, as you said, we don't have protection uh, for people who are members of the LGBT community in terms of employment and housing and etc. But um, I think we're moving the needle and by empowering folks to kind of be their own best advocates.
0: So I do want to ask you about something I've observed, particularly in the last few months, and it's what I think of as the ACLU's fearlessness. We don't seem to be afraid of a fight no matter who it upsets. Uh, I'm thinking of three different situations (laughs) this past fall. One was the Marcy's Law lawsuit, which you mentioned. um, That really drew the ire of victim advocates who— Wanted to see this ballot question pass. I mean, they even protested us at our own press conferences. Um, I'm also thinking of the election reform we bill.
1: Support, like, we support people's ability to protest, even sure. if it's against us. Sure, sure.
0: <laughs> um, and to their credit, they did not try to disrupt our speech. They yeah. just stood there quietly. But I was, I was also thinking of the election reform bill, yeah. which put us opposite of some of our most frequent friends um, who had problems with one of the provisions in the bill. As you mentioned, also we had allies with us on that, so that was fortunate. On Marcy's law, we heard a lot of private conversations where folks realized this is not good law, but almost no one else would speak up. Yeah, Uh, the Pennsylvania Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, Lawyers was the only other organization that spoke publicly as that bill was moving through the legislature. And then the third one you also alluded to, a fight we were we were just in this past week over the probation reform bill where the State House had a strong bill to reform probation and then amended it in the Judiciary Committee in a way that not only made it—it it, it, it created a bill that was, is not real reform, and it actually made it harmful to people who are on probation, and it has provisions that are unconstitutional. And again, it was the ACLU of Pennsylvania— um, at first, anyway, that was the we were the only ones willing to speak up and say, this bill is wildly problematic. Yeah. So my question for you is, what's that all about? <laughs> what's in the organization's DNA that we just step in when others step back? Hey, that's, that's, that's what we do. I
1: mean, we've always done that. I mean, we've been we are always motivated by principle. And so when principle dictates what action you should take. It's really a fairly easy call. Um, do we want to, like, piss off our, our friends? Like, no. But we always want to do the right thing for the people of Pennsylvania. And for all the things that you mentioned, they were they're, they're easy calls because those things would harm the people of Pennsylvania. They would not help them. And So I can sleep at night precisely because I know that we're always operating on principle.
0: You know, to me, I, th- I feel like it is a combination of power and fearlessness. You know, that 100 years of work, including 68 years here in Pennsylvania, has given the ACLU of Pennsylvania a lot of power. I've seen organizations at the legislature that have power but go r- get really timid when they have to cross people at the legislature. It's almost like they think they answer to the legislators instead of vice versa. Yeah,
1: I, I think that... <laughs>
0: There's no being
1: afraid at the ACLU, right? Because if someone on staff perhaps is feeling a little wishy washy, rest assured that another colleague or two or three is going to step up and say, look, we need to be doing this. And so um, I do think our long history and record of accomplishment give us a sense of, of confidence and power. But it's one, it's power that we are careful not to abuse. But to use strategically, mm-hmm. and again, because we are principled in our use of it, we don't overdo it. We don't we don't do power plays for the sake of of, of being powerful, right. but only in service of the people of, of Pennsylvania. And then, you know, my colleagues would say the same across the country.
0: That's really important. I'm glad you made that point because it's not a fight for the sake of fighting. It is number one, it's the principle which you mentioned, and number two, if speaking up moves the needle on an issue then that's the reason to speak up. You don't speak up just for the sake of hearing your own voice. Absolutely. I mean, we do it because we're compelled to do it. Like The
1: circumstances require us to do it, and um, I'm I'm glad we do. But, yeah, I'm glad we do. Yeah.
0: So what do you think is the most important thing people need to know about the state of the ACLU of Pennsylvania as we head into 2020? It's in good shape. (laughs) Uh, I think we are a strong as
1: ever, as effective as ever, as necessary as ever. We're as big as we've been, uh, we're as diverse as we've been, and uh, people need to know that we take none of that for granted, but all of those things are possible because people support us. And they need to know that I think I have the best colleagues uh, in the country who work hard every day. Um, We take our jobs and our responsibility to protect our democracy seriously, and we really are in it for the long haul. So if we've been here for 100 years, we are anticipating we'll be around for another 100 at least.
0: So this work doesn't happen without all the people who support us. You wanna give a little pitch and, and thank you to everybody out there. Thank you, as
1: always, for your support. It's more critical than ever given the circumstances our society is in, the challenges to our democracy that we see playing out uh, every day, certainly in Washington, D.C., but here in Pennsylvania and around the country. Um, Your support has enabled us to file um, hundreds of of legal actions against the current administration, uh, many having to do with immigration. Um, but as we talked about before, others having to do with free speech and, and criminal justice reform uh, and so forth. Uh, all of that work is valuable, and none of it would be possible without your ongoing support. So we appreciate that support, and never one minute uh, take it for granted.
0: All right, Reggie, well, happy holidays to you and yours, and thank you for the time.
1: Thank you, Andy. Happy holidays
0: to you and yours, and I hope you get a break. <laughs> Thanks. That's ACLU PA Executive Director Reggie Schuford and our annual State of the Union year-end conversation. As you're planning your end-of-year giving, please remember the ACLU of Pennsylvania. You can support all of this great work you just heard about by going to ACLUPA.org and clicking Donate on the homepage. And if you love the work of our national organization, we share donations 50-50 with our national office. So your donation supports the work of both your home state, ACLU, and our amazing national organization. And of course, one more plug for our centennial celebration. It's February 29th in Philadelphia. It will be an amazing night. Go to aclupa.org slash centennial to find out how to get tickets. That brings episode 36 to a close. We're going to take our annual winter break from the podcast for two months or so, but anticipate being back in February. Be sure to subscribe to the pod on your favorite app to stay updated on when new episodes drop. And please rate us on whatever app you use. That's how people find the show. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Schuford. I'm Andy Hoover. Happy holidays to all. And until next time, be free.